sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes all running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and it is another breakdown. We have two in a week now which I'm I'm really excited to talk about so, some new things that have happened in the last 24 hours or so. Dan, how are we today? I'm great, thank you very much. It's always nice to to wake up with a bunch of of UAP news to show on. Yeah, um, and I'm sorry we're not being introduced by some rock and organ music as <laughs> that which started the Ignatius Forum, our future in space, Dan, which is what we're going to kick off talking about just now. Um, hosted by Bill Ignatius, or oh wait, David Ignatius. David Ignatius. Yeah, I've said I've said Bill because you said Bill. Ignatius. Yeah, you said my mistake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and we I thought that was a joke. So myself and Dan both until seconds ago thought it was called the Ignatius Forum because it was like pretentious and it was insert Latin word here forum. But no, it turns out that's the guy's surname. So there we go. We it's learned a powerful surname. Icarus uh, Ignatius. You know, it's a big surname, isn't it? David Ignatius? Wow. It's like his nickname, or Ignatius, <laughs> yeah, what a guy. But yes, yeah, so this was, um, it wasn't overly hyped or anything. We knew it was coming up, and we saw some notable names were attached to it. There was, of course, Bill Nelson, uh, NASA administrator, uh, Avi Loeb, who is heading up Project Galileo, professor of science at Harvard, Jeff Bezos, evil billionaire, owner of Amazon, and the current DNI, director of national intelligence, Avril Haines. We, we also had... List. I'm just going to throw the name in David Wilkinson uh, from Durham University. Uh, he was talking about the, the well, he's a theologian and astrophysicist. I forgot the English guy. That's terrible. Uh, uh, nothing behind that, folks. But yeah, listen, I, I will be honest, cards on the table. This happened um, hours ago. And just due to recording constraints and times, I've not managed to watch the full thing yet. I've watched a good portion of the first half and I, I've seen the stuff that's noteworthy and then dan's going to fill in the blanks for us but dan for a kickoff what was this event and why was it happening so this event was really uh well i'll read the description of the event and that'll kind of give people an idea um because it wasn't just a uap focused event Mm -hmm. Uh, The description says, space is the new frontier for humanity. NASA is planning a new generation of exploration. Scientists are debating the possibility of extraterrestrial life, and military planners are developing weapons for space warfare. What does this space rush mean? At a moment when private citizens are launching spaceships, and the director of national intelligence has released a report assessing unidentified aerial phenomena 
as we look towards the heavens, what does the possibility of life out there mean for our religious life? Cool. So you can see that that touches on, you know, basically we're talking about private industry. It it almost kind of gives us the answer for why now, you know, when when we ask this about uh, the UAP news coming out. That summarizes that we're on the cusp of of kind of breaking into space as the new frontier. You know, we we look back and think of Columbus and Sir Francis Drake kind of, you, you know, going around the world. And, and that's in front of us for space. We're, we're going to get to see that happen. It's pretty exciting. Now, it started in quite a grand or the whole thing was hosted in quite a grand setting. It's in a, a big cathedral. Um, there was the organ music which started the, the whole proceedings. And we are greeted by um, uh, the the very reverend. What makes someone a reverend or a very reverend? Do you know? I honestly don't know. And I imagine it would be slightly different in the US to, to over here in the UK too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, we got uh, an introduction. And uh, of course, David Ignatius is introduced, who is the host for the event. And um, he basically tells us that uh, there are some pre-recorded comments and questions to NASA Administrator Bill Nelson, which we get to. Um, so there was a pre-recorded segment, uh, Interspliced. I like he made a little joke about there being some time travel involved. So I think that set the tone nicely for, you know, we're going to be talking about some things here. Uh, there's some interesting language used throughout as well. So uh, Bill Nelson talks about some time that he spent in space and how it changed his perspective on the planet. And he repeated his phrase of, he learned what it means to be a better steward of the planet. And it, it sort of changed his whole outlook on life, looking down and seeing huge parts of the, the Brazilian rainforest destroyed. Interestingly, looking down at the, the Amazon being stripped away just before Jeff Bezos came on to talk. Um, he also mentions how there are, and I'll paraphrase, but there are billions of stars in our galaxy, billions and trillions of other galaxies, and they all could have other planets like ours going around. And he uh, he said that, who am I to limit right life right here? So Bill Nelson is very much nailing his colours to the mast recently with his statement and comments. He seems to be pushing that, yes, there is other life. Yes, uh, it's not just on Earth and we should be looking for it and seems very open to the possibility that we may have already found it in, in some way, shape or form, given what his previous briefings have been as well. Dan, what were your thoughts on the, the early Bill Nelson comments? Yeah, I really liked it. He and And just to emphasize as well towards the end of the questioning of uh dni avril haynes she even said that we should be listening to bill nelson and his science when it mm -hmm. comes to the search for extraterrestrial life so being reminded that bill nelson is clearly so open-minded um and doesn't mind talking about this stuff makes me realize just how normalized it's become over the past few years uh, well, I also found out through this that um, Avril Haines, who is currently the Director of National Intelligence for the US, um, began as a theoretical physicist as well. So that's an interesting background to have to then be in the role that she is in. Um, it's, it seems like you're, you're putting the right players on the right places on the board for whatever game might be being played here, potentially. Um, Avril Haines is asked, uh, you know, are your agencies looking for early signs of life out there? Uh, and she says, you know, quite rightly, that we're focused on life on Earth, but we are still exploring what could this domain, uh, and by that she means space, be in the future. Comment, though, that uh, raised my eyebrows slightly. Uh, and again, there might be people listening to this who are very nuts and bolts and logical thinkers who might think I'm looking into this. But she says, things are going pretty quickly this decade. We could see a lot of change in the future. 
that that's a pretty pretty cool statement to hear her making again because we're hearing people talking very openly about changes and signs of life and all that kind of stuff and it's nice and refreshing to hear isn't it yeah absolutely um considering the a few years back we'd be chuckled out for even talking about that uh we we really have a, a nice solid base to work off this conversation now and we always like to joke that that it's the debunkers that are now wearing the tinfoil hat but you know look at it it's right in front of you the, the world is kind of normalized or getting there to, to the idea of us not being alone um, Avril Haynes uh, uh, then hands over very quickly to Bill Nelson again. It's another spliced in segment. Nelson has asked about various things, including a new project at NASA that will assess the question, are we alone in the universe? Bill Nelson goes on to talk about the James Webb's uh, telescope and its capabilities, picking keyholes in the sky to look at that are going to show us the furthest reaches of space and time, showing us back as far as only a couple of hundred million years after the initial Big Bang and then looking at different keyholes to see what's there, picking out suns, and then can we, within those suns or in front of, see those little black dots going across that would uh, show signs of another planet being there, and then also being able to read the chemical composition of those planets to work out what they're made up of and would they host life, potentially, like the Earth. Uh, he then made the comment, you know, do I think there is life out there? Yes. Straight in with a yes. I cannot limit uh, and then the other part of his sentence, again, I, I just can't help but find interesting. I cannot limit this universe to be just here. Did you uh, take note of later on where Avi Loeb was talking about the fisherman's net? I don't think you saw that actually yet. But I, I never Avi got Avi basically, he, He's talking about uh, Fermi and the Fermi paradox and, and how... Uh, basically for me sitting there and saying you know if life is prevalent in the universe where is it it hasn't come to us and avi likens it to sitting on your sofa and you know saying that you don't have any neighbors because none of them are knocking your door he said it's silly if you don't go look but he kind of furthered the the example by talking about um you know once there was a fisherman who who uh, he came back with a rule after fishing he said that uh all fish are bigger than two inches and rightly so someone said well how how big are the holes in your net and they turned out to be two inches. So Avi Love was kind of making the the point that Fermi was looking with a two-inch hole net. Now with the James Webb telescope, that net gets even smaller. So yes, we can see further, but we can also see things closer much, 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 much better. So we're going to be able to look at all these star systems where we kind of have seen these, you know, you've seen them in the news, the, the super Earths we find. And, you know, this mm -hmm. planet is five times more habitable than earth and you know whatever the media like to write we're going to be able to actually look at those with almost a finer tooth comb now and kind of you, you know we might not be able to have the resolution of google earth but we're, we're we're getting there you know it's very exciting upgrade that goes almost hand in hand then again it goes back to avril haynes and she's asked about the uap task force report and mentions that other category going through the other areas first and then says, you know, there was another category that is if we can't pin something down to be one of those main categories, it goes into other. And it just means we don't understand necessarily everything we are seeing. But within that talks about how the technology that they have to study these things, much like the telescopes have had in the past, um, isn't up to scratch isn't able to see and record the data as well as we need to to classify some of this stuff and let's be honest that doesn't mean when we do have that tech that we are going to be able to classify 
all of that um, or, able, or able to categorise this stuff as proper UAPs because it could very much turn out to be that, again, some of those 143 cases, some then turn out to be drones or Chinese tech or Russian tech potentially, but they're still going to leave a sizable chunk which are going to be truly anomalous. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we only need to look at, um, you, you know, we don't tend to make senses for things until we realize that they could be there. And then we start trying to sense them with stuff. Um, and a great example of this from the last few years is LIGO, a gravitational wave detector. I've spoken before about how, you know, turn the clock back 15 years and you'd be laughed out of a university for saying that gravity waves exist. Now it's just a de facto thing that they exist. We know they're there. Um, so, We've, we're going from LIGO, and in a few years, NASA will be launching LISA. And LISA are basically three satellites that will orbit the Earth, and they'll kind of make a you know a triangular constellation. And between all of them, they will make up a sensor that detects gravity waves. So we're going from something that's you know a few kilometers long on the surface of the Earth, where we've got all sorts of noise that we have to sort out, to putting it in the vacuum of space and having it much more sensitive. That kind of progression you know, it's happening, it's happening in a lot of places at once. So we're, we're going to start seeing things very differently soon, I think. Do you think DNI Haynes meant to choke on the word extraterrestrial the first time she said it? Did you notice that? I did, yeah. Um, what was the sentence? She said, uh, the, there's always the question of, is there something else that we simply do not understand that might come extra, extra, extraterrestrially? That was, she yeah. had stumbled over her woods. And I mean, I'm if you're going to stumble just, over any woods yeah. there, that's the word to be nervous about, right? But yeah. wow, she's the director of national intelligence <laughs> alluded that it could be something extraterrestrial. That's it. I, I don't think it was necessarily the gravity of the word she was using. I think she just, it was a big word, extraterrestrially. You know, that's a hard yeah. word to say, but it's it's a hell of a word to be coming out the mouth of the DNI in I'll, I'll any way, shape or form. Over Biden running away from the podium, you know? Yeah. And let's be honest, the only time we ever hear extraterrestrial or AT again in the past, and this is what we're trying to state here, the gravity of this, this talk and the setting and the people being used, is it's usually in a jokey comment or a throwaway line about what do you think it's some sort of extraterrestrial ha 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 and everyone in the press room laughs and no we've got some serious people having really serious conversations and then throwing in that do you know what extraterrestrial as a serious possibility for what may constitute some of those sightings and some of those uh, events that are happening with the, the US Navy the US Air Force and others as well Bill Nelson also talks about us going back to the moon uh, to allow us to get to Mars more efficiently. And Bill Nelson basically says that going to Mars will help us understand who we are, what was before us, and potentially what will be in the future. Again, interesting comments, Dan. Yeah, um, just I'm just going to touch on something Avril Haines said just before I talk about that. Just that when she was talking about the different categories and how things end up in other, we, we've discussed in the community a bit whether they were kind of deductive categories or whether at any point something could go in any of the categories. Um, and in this conversation, she actually makes the point of, no, no, we, we've been through all of those categories and now it's another. It's not a case of, oh, we just don't know what it is, so it's none of those, it's another. Um, it's been judged to not be anything other than other. I've said other too much. <laughs> yeah, other, yeah. Other. Um, yeah, uh, Bill, Bill Nelson also mentioned about how the US and Russia have a really great relationship working together in space, which I thought was interesting. Uh, he, he was down about the prospects of China, you know, joining the cooperation. 
Um, but that's a lot more positive than people would think, right? You, you know, you wouldn't kind of get that kind of, yay, we're working together from from Biden, for example. Um, they're able to stay outside of that political sphere and say, okay, you know, how can we we make the world better together? Um, Holes well, in the space station aside. Just yesterday, Dan, the um, US and China have agreed to work together on one of the climate protocols or, or climate change bills. So again, you're, you're seeing movement outside of the normal political spectrum as, as presidents and leaders stand on podiums and, and need to talk down about each other's countries because of various different issues. But it looks like there are some areas that they can get behind each other and talk. Uh, and it tends to be in more in the areas of science, which is great to see. Yeah, absolutely. And this is all happening in the age of communication where, you know, the governments can't really, some governments do, they try and limit communication of their people, but, you know, people tend to find a way and it's inevitable that, you know, we're all going to be communicating freely. What that struggle will look like, I don't know, but I, I think eventually, you know, you'll be able to see top secret scientists from China working with top secret American scientists and Russian scientists and yeah, and, and all sorts of countries that we probably haven't heard about as well. So Dan, this is where I tap out because I haven't seen the rest of this conversation just between work and everything else. I've only managed to see so much. Um, now, Jeff Bezos from Amazon was up, but I think like you mentioned earlier, this was not strictly a conference to talk about UAPs. This was very much about our future in space Jeff Bezos, along with Richard Branson and Elon Musk, have all in their own vehicles recently had uh, various escapades off to orbit, space, depending on the your definition of space. Some of them may have reached it, some of them may have not. But obviously, Jeff Bezos, given that recent achievement, has a place in this conversation, um, maybe looking at a more commercialised space travel as well. So what was Jeff Bezos saying from what you managed to gather? So, I mean, I've got to mention his incredible quote of, <clears throat> this is the most precious planet in the world. That, that They were the words of Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos. Um, I, Available I now as a, a t-shirt. <laughs> um, he was talking about the overview effect and, and how he basically wasn't ready to feel what he felt when he saw our fragile world beneath him, basically. Um, again, it makes me think of contact and the rich people going to space and, and realizing what good they can do. Um, hopefully, Jeff will, you know, help a little bit more and, and stop his workers having to be in bottles and so on and so forth. I mean, Dan, he, he could have gone to space and had a moment of epiphany and thought, do you know what? Everyone gets free Amazon Prime from now on. Everyone pays <laughs> for deliveries, but he didn't. He went up there and thought, my God, that's a beautiful world down there. Anyway, it's still seven ninety nine a month. I mean, why? He was up there for four seconds. That, that's, you know, not a lot of time to think about it, I guess. <laughs> um, Avril did mention um, as well, she, she said, she spoke about needing to establish frameworks for the kind of the, the way ahead. And she spoke about how Earth and space aren't disconnected domains. Um, that made me think of transmedium travel vehicles. Um, I, I just thought I'd mention that because she seemed, you, you know, if they joined domains, inevitably we're going to want vehicles that can operate in both. Um, and, and you know, we, we might know some places where that technology could maybe be found. <laughs> well, well we, we'd have to, uh, I, I guess, get the get the raffle up to a couple of million and then ask Lou Elizondo for, <laughs> <laughs> for the location, maybe. I don't know. Um, the Jeff Bezos also said he, he was asked about 
E.T. coming here to visit, um, and he made a pretty damning statement. Um, he, he said, have we been visited by the extrasolar intelligences? I very much doubt that. So for anyone curious whether he was going to start funding the Galileo project, it seems like no, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but, you know, you never know these events. He, he was there mixing with all the people who could, you know, pitch this research in the correct way. So who knows what happens? The the Expanse was saved because they were at a party with Jeff. So, you know, so, something could, could come of it. Uh, they, they would... let, let, me, let me just ask you on that. Do you think there's this automatic assumption that when people reach that elite status, like a Jeff Bezos, an Elon Musk, a Richard Branson, that they must be in on all sorts of secrets, fundamental to our planet or otherwise, and they would know all this information. So people get surprised when they poo-poo or ridicule the ideas of ETs because you think they would know. But is it just a case of these guys at the end of the day are are very much businessmen? And unless you're a Bob Bigelow type, you don't necessarily care about ET because it's not making you money. Yeah, and exactly. They're happy to just run their businesses as they and do. With with Bigelow as well, it, you know, if you listen to the Mystery Wire interviews with him, he outright says that his goal for going into real estate was to get enough money to investigate the phenomena. This wasn't something that crept up in his life, and you know, he was this big, successful businessman, and then it came along. You know, from an early age, he he saw the opportunity to to invest money in the research, um, and you know whether you agree with how he went about that or not, he he was a pioneer. Yeah. David Wilkinson was uh, super interesting to listen to. He, he was talking about the phenomena in, well, space and the exploration of space and the possibility of ET um, through the lens of religion um, and kind of trying to explain that it's not the religion thinks that we are special, it's that we see ourselves as loved and therefore we are special. And basically any other extraterrestrial civilization would also fall under that remit. So it doesn't really go against anything that, you know, they, they speak about anyway. Sure. Um, he, he made a, a very profound quote as well. He said, science is thinking God's thoughts after him, which, you know, it's, it sounds big and broad, but all it's really saying is that, you know, we're finding the mechanisms of the universe after they've been made by whatever natural force made them. Uh, interesting way to think about it. Then once he made that point, uh, Avi Loeb responded by by reminding people that the root word of Galileo comes from Galilee in Israel. Um, and if you look up the rendezvous with Rama, there's a very special cylinder in, in that uh, book. And the cylinder is basically, spoiler, uh, an alien starship. Um, so it was interesting to hear Avi points out, hey, there are there are basically tic tacs in these ancient religious texts. Um, he, he doesn't seem quite as closed off to that kind of thing as I, I think people may have surmised. Do you know what? I'm pleasantly surprised from seeing Avi on Joe Rogan at the start of the year. And then we spoke to, to Avi less than a week later. And he's been on the podcast again since. And seeing him on various other appearances he's done... He, he has really come out in his conversation uh, and and carried on as, as he as he started, to be honest. He's been quite open-minded. And I think even letting people like Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, Nick Pope, Seth Shostak, and, and there's names there that are divisive for various different reasons, but he still seems quite open to help and support and getting a few different minds all looking at this, which ultimately, ultimately we can hope is no bad thing. 
Yeah, for sure. He he explains that you know the data that they gather is the data that they gather. It's going to belong to different fields of science. This isn't something he's going to be studying in a vacuum, and science doesn't work that way anyway. Um, so he was basically saying that you know if he gets data on birds that perhaps that branch of science doesn't have, he'll give that data to them. Same with you know aquatic life and things like that. So it sounds like it's going to be a, a really a really valuable project, even even if it doesn't find UAP stuff. I, I think Avi will soon be able to justify, hey, we should put these cameras everywhere at all times because we're finding a lot of exciting stuff here. Absolutely. Was there any more you've got as takeaways then, Dan, from the, the conference before we move on? Uh, no, I mean, only to link it to, you know, the, the Gillibrand Amendment, which is what we're about to talk about next. Well, do you know what? Just before we do, I just want to mention something else from this week that got a lot of people talking and uh, speculating was Lou Elizondo had some media appearances booked in on various podcasts and other things that he usually does, and uh, they were all cancelled. And I think people immediately jumped to various different uh, rumours and whatnot, some about his health, but Lou came out quite quickly to quash that. So if you've not been on social media or you've not seen too many of these news and rumours, then uh, Lou has said himself he is, in, he is in good health. It's not to do with his health. Um, he has had his health issues recently, but this was just very much there's some other things going on and it meant he had to pull the media appearances uh, for the for the near future. And that was all there really was to it, wasn't it, Dan? There was a little a little extra breadcrumb that people might like there. Um, someone responded to that message of, you, you know, just Lou letting everyone know he was okay uh, by saying, what is your favorite song? Um, and Lou responded saying, listening to Who Made Who by ACDC at the moment. Um, he says choosing the song's pretty hard, but ha- have a look at the lyrics for Who Made Who by ACDC. Um, and I, I think you'll be a, a little excited by that. We'll leave that one in there for people to go and check out. And also, uh, the other thing that dropped yesterday was Chris Mellon writing it on his blog, uh, which you'll you'll find the link for in the description to this show. Or if you check out Chris Mellon's Twitter account, you'll see the link on there. And that is on the, the Gillibrand Amendment that we talked about on the last breakdown, Dan, wasn't it? It's. I'm just going to correct you there because I, I had this learn this week. We, we recorded no. a whole show and I must have said Gillibrand a whole bunch, but it's like GIF GIF. It's Gillibrand. Ah, oh, Gillibrand. We, <laughs> we have said this before, haven't we, with some of the the American surnames. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jizz or Giz or, yeah, cool. Also, Gillibrand. Uh, apologies for anyone with that <laughs> surname out there. Um, so, yeah, the, the Gillibrand Amendment. Just a very quick reminder, Dan, what is the Gillibrand Amendment all about? So the Gillibrand Amendment was basically an amendment to the NDAA. This comes from the Armed Services Committee as opposed to the uh, the IAA, which is the Senate Committee. Um, and we've seen it previously with uh, Ruben Gallagher. Um, apologies if I'm pronouncing the surname wrong. But he, he put forth an amendment to the NDAA that specified a few things like biological effects and, and proposed some different kind of length of time for, for when they're submitting the reports. And Senator Gillibrand has actually gone a lot further. Um, and she's proposed setting up not only an office, but also an advisory committee to that office to act as an interface for for public input and output. Um, and, you know, propose that these things be funded for a whole four years properly. Um, and yeah, it, it was super interesting. There, there were two things we, we didn't speak about pre- on the previous breakdown, and that is that it specifies that they should, the Congress should be informed of any uh, any progress on capturing or exploiting the technology. Um, mm-hmm. 
which is, you know, I, I worry that we're being a little provocative towards it sometimes, um, but also to set up actual proper field investigations. So I imagine that's the kind of thing that was going on when they people rocked up onto the Nimitz and took all the data. That would have been a field investigation team that was set up and ready to go that had all these sensors that knew, you know, these things were coming. Um, but whoever that was, we we do not know. Yeah, two things I took from the article, which, again, the first one sort of explains about the Gillibrand Amendment and in Chris's words, why it's so important. Uh, obviously, when and this is me quoting, obviously, when the info doesn't reach the UAP task force, it isn't likely to get to Congress either. The Gillibrand Amendment helps to address this problem by clarifying and expanding the definition of UAP and covering the scenarios where the task force is denied access due to classification. This is pointing at the issues the task force had in going around those various departments and actually getting the information that was required to try and do its job well, which we all know and is very well documented. What I found most interesting from this, Dan, and you can tell me if you think I'm, I'm reading into this the wrong way. I'll read the quote first and then ask you a question. Okay. It is public knowledge that I worked patiently for months with Louis Elizondo, the OSD official responsible for the UAP issue in 2017 to try to get this issue taken seriously within the department. It was only when that failed that Mr Elizondo and I chose to stick our necks out by taking the UAP videos and the UAP issue to the press and to Congress. I hope the Senate Armed Services and Intelligence Committees will again assert themselves, recognising that although DOD and the IC are replete with smart and patriotic people, it is generally difficult, if not impossible, for that rigid and colossal structure to reorganize itself from within. Is this a threat that others could break ranks and potentially come forward with more information? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think this is what uh, Chris is getting at. With Chris's last article, I remember saying that it's not aimed at us. It's aimed at the people who are reading these bills and are going to make yeah. up their mind whether they're going to vote on it. And this feels exactly the same. Um, you know, the senators are the audience for this. And, and when you read it, it, it gives real kind of it drives home how much interest there is in this anyway. Um, you, you know, the language seems to be coming from a lot of different places now, as opposed to, you know, just kind of them setting the ball rolling back in 2017. Mm -hmm. um, people ask why now? This is, this is why, you know, they, they may not be whistleblowers by the legal definition because they're not doing what Edward Snowden did, but yep. they're doing it in a sensible way within the frameworks that have been set up so that we can deal with this properly. Um, they're doing it in a clever way in a yes. way that they know what they're saying they know why they're saying it and they know they're not going to get into trouble by doing it this way and that's why people ask why can why can such and such say say one thing but not another and that, that doesn't affect their NDA well that's because they're, they're allowed to say certain things when it's opinion again I, I don't doubt sometimes people give us quotes or comments or breadcrumbs if you want to call them that that are shrouded or wrapped with a little bit of untruth or a little bit of false information but the bulk of it is correct but just by giving us that 20% mistruth it allows them to get more information out there and that's that's a good way to start a conversation as well. Yeah for sure and and I remember when the preliminary UAPTF report was released and, and a lot of people were dissatisfied with it but that dissatisfaction dissatisfaction has clearly played into the language that we're seeing in this amendment they they now know 
you know, before they didn't even know they wanted a UAP report. Now they know what they want a UAP report to start looking like. And that with the Gillibrand Amendment includes a public unclassified report. Um, you know, we, we got to start somewhere. But if you disagree with the language, get in touch with your officials, tell them that. We, we can make another amendment. This is the whole process. Um, but you've got to speak to the, the people who can actually affect that change. One, one thing I found interesting was where Chris spoke about the fact that a lot of departments are reluctant to spend money on UAP research because it's not specified in the language. Um, and that's just, that's such a typical red tape thing, right? Everyone wants to do the work, but because the word isn't on the page, they're like, oh, we might get in trouble for using the money for that. Um, this fixes that. Yeah. And I think, and finishing up as well, that with the the amount of people now coming out and seemingly supporting UAP or UFO investigations, however you want to word it, and the why now question, I think a lot of it is down to these politicians and high-ranking officials and senators and congressmen and women they are seeing these these videos and photographs that we aren't they're seeing the 23 minute video they're seeing the video of the object 50 feet from the craft all this stuff that are from the aircraft that lou talked about in his gq article just recently as well so the 23 minutes of of sci-fi that we hear about you know people like rubio warner gillibrand and others they're coming out of briefings having saw this yeah, it's frustrating we aren't seeing it, but right now, these people are able to make bigger moves than we are. We can help and support and make noise, but ultimately they are going to open the doors to allow these these to move forward in the big ways that we need. So um, if that has to keep happening for now, then great. If anyone wants to send us anonymously one of those 23-minute videos or, or footage of a you know an F-18 pilot with a huge UFO next to his craft, then please be my guest. We'll keep it secret. But uh, <laughs> until then, Dan, it's been good having another uh, another breakdown. Yeah, it's been great. Helped me understand this a little bit more as well. And again, thanks to everyone else getting in touch, asking for our thoughts, and we will speak to you soon. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet, and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO UAPAM. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer. A little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little Meditative game of state full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. Jump back and nearly kiss myself.
myself and I climbed out the window after the elf and I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was red and I helped out my boys they thought this was noise they thought it was a dream they thought it was my toys they thought it was my problems and they think I should see therapy and I don't know what it is because it doesn't really scare me If you really want to know who I think they'd be, I think it's you and me and us and we. And-